2: You ready for this? Let's do it,
3: man.
1: Okay.
2: Dr. Glenn's ready. We're ready. Okay. This is part two of body language and communication cues to tell if a relationship is healthy from the perspective of a wedding photographer.
3: You're shooting the wedding. You're in it. Mm -hmm. Or any event,
2: but let's go ahead and just get into this with the intro. Welcome to 12 Week Relationships. This is your place for better relationships in weeks, not years. My name is Pi. I'm Dr. Glenn. When we say relationships, we mean all of them, starting with the one you have with yourself and working your way outward to all the other ones. And just as a note, before we dive into this, if you guys want to hop onto 12weekrelationships.com, you can join our newsletter where we're going to give you awesome tips and guidance each week. I'm actually writing these by hand. They're going to be really cool. And uh, you can also sign up for the wait list to meet directly with Dr. Glenn, sign up for coaching packages and whatnot, if that is something you're interested in. But with that... Our sponsor message is done. Let's get right into this. Okay, <laughs> Once so this, again sponsored by no one. <laughs> I know. Sponsored by no. We're sponsored by ourselves. Oh, that's bro. right. Come okay, on. sorry, sorry. Okay, so we're doing a follow up episode because uh, the last one, when well, we by the time we started filming, we had like eleven of these points, and we're probably going to have more. So we we thought let's just do a, a part two. So we have six more of these. And i'll go back to my research notes and uh and dig up some more these are i think really fun to kind of talk about
3: no okay do you want to revisit the first five or should we just move on
2: why don't we just briefly go over them if you miss them check out that episode but the first five we did um when someone takes the lead and walks in front do they glance back we mm-hmm. did how do they each behave around friends and family we did uneven power <laughs> dynamics does one person make all the decisions and is there resistance within those, those dynamics Uh, Number four was when someone observes something interesting, does the other person take interest and try to connect? And five was, are jokes used sarcastically to mask underlying frustrations? And that brings us to number six. Number six. How do they each
3: respond
2: to challenges and conflict? Oh, I love this one. I love this one. Please elaborate. I mean, there is so much conflict around a photo shoot. It doesn't matter what you're shooting, right? Whether it's family, whether you're doing, you know, an engagement shoot, whether it's a, and then you have the wedding, the the wedding itself is just a bag of conflict dropped on your doorstep. And by the way, when we say conflict, I feel like people, uh, I don't know, when you hear that word, you think of fist fighting, right? What do you think (laughs) of?
3: Just knocking each other. I just, yeah. Fist fighting, yelling, screaming.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When we use it in context, we're, what we're really talking about is, uh, these are, opportunities for conflict. These are things that are challenging that must be overcome, but the way that they're handled, that is, you know, up to the individuals.
3: Yeah. The conflict is how it's handled. It's the challenge. It's a challenge itself. And then the conflict that occurs because of it.
2: Yeah. So, so when we say conflict, what we're really talking about is, uh, conflict is healthy. So long as the approach to resolving it is a, is a healthy one, right? Conflict is normal. It's, it's necessary. It's, it's important. hmm but yeah, how do they handle conflict? So I'll give examples. Uh, major red flag is when there is an area of conflict, and let's say planning the wedding. Their approach to discussing or managing that conflict is opposite. I almost found this to be so. For example, let's say that um, let's say that her mom is the bride's mom is, is putting up some significant challenges right and kind of always weighing in and and doing things and and the groom is frustrated and the bride says you know we should talk about this and the groom goes you know what i don't want to deal with this i'm done and he just walks out he's not saying he's done with the relationship he's just like i I don't want to do this anymore and he just walks out right that's a major issue not because of that particular issue i mean it is annoying to have you know your mother always interjecting and weighing in and whatnot but it's more so the fact that one person is engaging and trying to resolve conflict and coming forward and the other person is pulling away. And you can probably guarantee that that's going to continue through each type of conflict that they encounter. And it's very draining for the person that's kind of pulling forward and wanting to resolve. It's a very emotionally draining piece to see the other person pull away.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think given that example, like in future post marriage, like anytime there's a struggle, like, hey, man, you're on your own. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna take care of myself. You you do you and you take care of it on your own. I'll come back when it's taken care of.
2: Yeah, it's it's that anxious avoidant kind of pairing, right? Where one person like it I know this because it I, I am that person too. When there's a interpersonal issue in my life, if it's with someone that I'm close with, I wanna resolve it. And if the other person is unwilling, it's a constant grind of my emotional energy to not think about it, to not, you know, well, I just gotta do it on their time. So I'm forced to kind of choose people in my life that are okay to take a head on approach to conflict because if you're not, it becomes very emotionally draining for me.
3: No agreed. And then in in that example that you gave as a couple, that is not an individual issue. That's a couple's issue that needs to be shared and addressed, talked through and worked out. That would, that would be a sign that you're in a healthy relationship.
2: Yeah. You want to know what else is interesting? Other couples, I will give another example of two parents who when they, they've been married for like, you know, 10 years and when they encounter conflict, they both yell at each other. What do you think everybody around them thinks as to the health of their relationship? They would
3: say, oh, this is unhealthy because it looks like it's unhealthy. On it the outside. looks
2: unhealthy, right? It's actually not, not from their perspective. Again, what I noticed was that it was more important that they approach conflict in a similar manner. Not that they did it the right way. It was like, who? who's to say? I mean, when we talk about the subject of conflict, if you want to really know conflict, you need to become a professional negotiator, someone that spends their life understanding conflict. All of us suck at managing conflict just to different degrees. So it's not really that big of a deal when one person yells and that's also the other person's approach to resolving conflict because that's the way that they both naturally handle it. But if one person yells and the other person is quiet, that's a problem.
3: No, I agree. Because it shows an unequal power dynamic. Like if they're yelling at each other, and then it doesn't mean that it's healthy, but if if it's getting demeaning or they're saying really, they're trying to outdo each other, that's unhealthy. But if they're just expressing themselves in that way and that's how they do it, that's okay.
2: Do you know how many New York couples I photographed that (laughs) that like, and (laughs) I'm not just like calling out the East Coast. I'm just saying there's some maybe in the water. I don't know what's going on down there, but... They would, when when it comes to conflict, it was a normal thing when I'm photographing East Coasters to see them just like go at it. Just air it out. Yeah, they, they'd they be like, oh my gosh, your fucking dad is so annoying. And the other person would be like, babe, seriously, like your parents can also go to hell. And yes, I understand. And they would just go. Mm-hmm. And you're like, from from the outside, it looks as though it's completely unhealthy. And granted, I will say, there are more productive ways of resolving conflict than to yell and curse at each other. But at the same time, they're doing fine.
3: Yeah, there's health there's healthy components within that. Yeah. I just wish you had the New York accent though.
2: Get out of here. <laughs> I'm walking here. I can't I can't even I can't even You know the <laughs> I have a funny New York story that I'll make brief. My very first time in New York, I get out off the uh, off the the train in Grand Central. I, I'm sorry if I'm saying all this stuff wrong. But I get off the train, I remember walking, and I'm six foot tall. I, I have a fairly decent pace. I'm not slow by any means. On the West Coast, I'm usually walking past people. And I remember like not five steps off the subway, uh, I hear this move i'm walking here and i'm like and in my head i'm going holy shit that is the most incredible thing like within seconds i've already heard the new york and as i'm thinking this and turning it's a woman pushing her baby in a stroller (laughs) i am slower as a six foot man walking than a woman pushing her baby in a stroller like i'm holding them up and that's that's when i had to reevaluate my walking speed and life decisions
3: also because of that you walk faster now
2: No, I think I walk the same speed. Now in Uh, New York, I definitely walk a lot faster. I'm very, New York is a stressful city for me to be in. I feel like for West coasters, when we go to places on the East coast, like New York, we're constantly like,
3: it's a, it's a shock. Yeah. it's too overstimulating. You got to adjust
2: and you don't want to be in people's ways and you don't know when can I cross when, I mean, they're crossing right now. Should I cross? (laughs) It's just like your, your constant fight flight mode in New York
3: sounds like you're still traumatized, man. I am
2: still traumatized. I love New York actually, but, but yeah, that was my very first experience there. <laughs> that's so cool. But it was important to understand that from a, from a standpoint of conflict, it's not so much that you're good at conflict management. Nobody is. We're all at different varying stages of that. It's more so that when you approach it in a different manner than the other person, that's going to be a huge area of emotional drain.
3: Yeah. And it's not, you know, instead of like seeing like, this is how it's supposed to be and it should be perfect. There's good and bad, but ultimately, like, if it's healthy, even if it doesn't look like it on the outside, as long as, you know, there's a shared experience and they're trying to work through, it's fine. Yeah. I think that's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Without my my New York accent.
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's a beautiful video, a beautiful meme that shows New York conflict really down to the T. Have you seen <laughs> the one with the dogs that scream at each other? No. It's like, F you, Timmy. Hey, hey, what's your name? You know the what's your name one? No. What's your name? <laughs> okay let's yeah, just i'm sorry going. i'm sorry man. i'm gonna have to ke- keep catching glenn up on all the the cool you stuff you
3: gotta keep me current man yeah
2: i learned it from you you isn't? gotta go f- look for the what's your name dog video i will i will, I a, will after one. we're done man yeah sure. they tell each other to f off and then they're both okay you know everything's fine cool it's cool <laughs> all right you um, want to go to number seven
3: yeah number seven do they show concern for one another's energy and emotional state
2: yeah that's a big one uh there should be in a healthy relationship there should be a the natural ability to perceive and to see the other person's emotional state. And when you do, like do are you aware of it? Do you say something? And oftentimes I would see one of uh, you know the couple I would see one person kind of in distress and the other person completely unaware of it.
3: Well this I mean this comes down to what we what we do. This is the foundation, the core values. Are you sharing core values? Are you living your core values? And do you have the regard, which is the respect and attraction for each other as a couple? Yeah. Yeah. Is that there?
2: Yeah. So a lot of people might equate this to emotional intelligence like EQ. And it, and it is related to EQ for sure. But I, I like seeing where couples are kind of on the same wavelength on that side. When one person is completely aware of the other person's emotional state, but that person isn't aware of the other. That's yeah. kind of problematic. They should both have sort of a, they don't need to both. Again, it goes back to like that, that similar concept of like, uh, you know, the way that they you approach conflict, right? You don't have to both be incredibly mm-hmm. emotionally aware and whatnot, but you should be at a similar level of awareness.
3: There's an alignment there. Like, I mean, EQ, there can be a, an emotional distance, whereas core values is, are you connected?
2: Yeah. 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 And, and distress kind of, that sounds like uh I'm going to give you an example because distress might sound a little bit, I don't know, aggressive or a little bit like an emergency. I'm not talking about like emergency issues. I'm talking about, you know, oftentimes guys, they don't want to necessarily be on a photo shoot, right? So you'll see their energy level kind of start to drop and and it'll continue to drop. And is the their partner, are they aware of this kind of like drop in that emotional presence? Like can they see their energy levels going down? And in some cases they do honey, it's, we're, we're almost done. We're just going to do a few more. This is amazing. You know, um, I'm going to give you a blowjob later. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you can, if you want, you know, I'm just saying, is that inappropriate? <laughs> Anthony's looking at me like that was inappropriate. We're talking relationships and love, Anthony. I think it's my fault from the last the it last podcast
3: because I brought that up. The LMB, yeah, the LMB, man. Yeah, now now I've got now, mine. so now, now it's 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 in you. I'll take I'll take, I'll take blame even. for that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway,
2: yeah, you know both of them are kind of aware of that, and and you want to see the same thing on on her side. You know, maybe she's like they might be out. And she's carrying a bunch of stuff because maybe she has a few different wardrobe changes and she clearly is getting tired and of lugging stuff around. Like, is he offering, yeah. you know, support and help? Uh, and, and so it's being aware of where each other's at is, is important.
3: No, I think that's really telling. Cause like, if you're getting tired, you know, like, are you okay, honey versus like, come on, man, you're always getting tired or whatever the case may be. That'll, that would show that they're probably not in alignment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll let Anthony make a call on whether he's going to, cut that piece out later you're gonna leave it in there he's gonna leave it in there sweet okay
3: uh number eight do they scoff or take the other person's complaints lightly
2: that one's a big one um this is a clear indicator of like a lack of regard for the other person right that fundamental piece of desire regard you know when someone suggests something, when someone, you know, says, oh, I'm getting tired or I'm this and and the other person kind of scoffs at it or like, oh my gosh, like we just started. Uh Oh, seriously. Like I've done so much. That's a a sign that there's like a a disconnect.
3: Or even if they're just not listening, right? Like, oh, I'm I'm really tired. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Whatever. It's just kind of dismissive quality. I mean, that's just a sign of complete disrespect.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the best times to see both this point and the earlier one uh is with family shoots when you're dealing with kids. Because trying to wrangle kids, get them dressed and, and get them ready for like a, a photo shoot, that is difficult. And both people are double timing it. Like, you know, both parents are just going at it. And when they land in front of the camera, it's are they aware of each other's struggle or are they only seeing their own? Are they only seeing how tired they are and what they did or do they see what both people did and are they both respectful to one another you know in that process
3: Uh, is it fair to say like in those moments like the people that take their partner's complaints lightly they just kind of generalize them because they're not really involved in their life because if they were like they would know the details of like oh i could see that you're you're tired here i could see like you've done this and they're really involved in that i think it's telling that that it just shows like an emotional distance
2: i would say so i mean if you are give me an example. Cause I'm thinking of certain examples where like, let's say, you know, for a lot of couples, one person might not know how long it takes the other person to get ready or what they're doing to get ready.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, let's say like, you know, the, the spouse is like, you know, changing and carrying all these things and getting everything ready. And he or she is like, I'm really tired. And then the other partner is like, you always get tired at five o'clock anyway. It's no yeah. big deal. It's all good. Yeah, that's, it's all good. That's
2: definitely not a good sign.
3: Right. It shows like I'm not really invested or right? I just give you the, I'm not really involved in your life.
2: I mean, it's weird to bring this to a personal level, right? When we're getting ready for like, let's say, a family trip or a photo shoot or whatever it might be, Yen is usually getting the kids ready. She's, you know, getting them all in their outfits and and doing hair and, and doing her own makeup and getting herself ready and I'm usually like packing the car and like trying to figure out what stuff do we need and, and getting everything good to go and then getting the kids in the car. Now for you to get in the car and then to go to this photo shoot and for you only to be aware of what you did and dismiss whatever the person was, the other person was doing, that's unusual that I mean that shows a lack of awareness in terms of yeah, what the other person is doing with their time. And that's a problem.
3: Yeah. So that's a huge red flag right there.
2: For sure. If if we get in the car and I can only see oh my gosh, what were you doing? All that. The kids are, the kids are dressed. They're made up. They're all good to go. And I'm sitting here going, what were you doing that whole time? That is a very big red flag in the sense of, I am completely unaware of anything outside of my own purview.
3: Yeah. Once again, this should be like, this should be the standard of whether to pursue marriage or not based on what happens during this time.
2: Yeah. If you want to know whether you should get married or not, just start planning
3: a wedding. Planning it and then, be in it and then make your decision after. <laughs>
2: no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm deadly serious on that. Well, way. how would you do that? But what then, do you mean like plan someone else's? This could be our next, this will be our next venture. You know what? Yeah. yeah. What we'll do is we'll set up where you can plan someone else's wedding and be a part of it and then decide for yourself if you yeah, want to Yeah. And proceed. then you
3: can see how it goes. And then we can, we can say, hey, I don't, I don't think so. Or yeah, this is
2: a go, man. This this This, looks good, man. This is a terrible business venture. This is why you're, I'm gonna, I'm, you're fired. You're fired from thinking of business ventures. All right. right. What do we got
3: next? Uh, Number nine. Have they taken an interest in one another's lives?
2: Yeah, I guess this ties back to that previous point too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But what comes to mind when we have this point specifically is that there's a lot of games that I'll play with my my clients so from the side of the photographer that's directing i'll I'll put them into a pose and 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 everything and once they're there i need to get them to emote to to be authentic in front of the camera and you can't really do that by saying things like you know smile or cheese or you know all that kind of stuff you just get awkward moments so what I do is I, I play games, kind of games where you know I'm getting to know them and and I'm testing their ability to like kind of know each other, and they're, they're the same games that you might see played at a wedding, right? Uh, so you I'd ask things like, okay, on the count of three, um, I want you to say his favorite color. We're gonna let's go back to Tom and Jerry. They were our same sex example. I'll say Tom. I want you to guess Jerry's favorite color on the count of three, and Jerry you're going to say your favorite color on the count of three. And it could be anything. You could substitute color for food, for activity, for, you know, book, for whatever you want, right? And then you count down and they say it. And let's see if they get it right. Now, if it's not, again, is it a marker just because they don't know everything about each other? No. That's, it's, it's just, or I should say, is it a red flag if they don't know everything about it? No, no, it's not. It's, it's just something where like, okay, maybe you don't know their favorite food. Maybe you don't know their favorite activity. Maybe you don't know. Those are three things that you don't know that maybe would be good to know. So that's a marker. But then later, if I ask a question of like, you know, Tom, um, like, how is, what does Jerry do for work? And Tom goes, well, actually, I'm not really sure he's in sales. Okay, now we have a second marker on top of the first one. it's like now we're building towards a red flag like you don't really know what jerry does for work right and then down the road again i ask you know tom have you met any of jerry's siblings um i met one but i think he has two more okay that starts to be like okay now we have a red flag you really don't know that much about the other person and you haven't taken an interest in their life that's scary man for sure and it happens not not with Tom and Jerry. They were they were
3: Well Jerry chases cheese, man. We already well, talked about yeah. this. My
2: same set couples, they're 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 on point, man. They know, they know shiz.
3: But no, that that that's really scary because they don't know anything about each other. And then their core values do not match at the core.
2: Yeah. 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 So that's that but those are very from those games they're they're fun to play and it's kind of like you you get a quick gauge of how interested are they in one another's lives
3: but i'm just saying like that has to be awkward like if it gets to the place where you know you're shooting and then you're just kind of like watching that
2: right really i mean it's it's a game and whenever they answer the questions wrong there's always good laughter and those kind of, and that's what I'm looking for as a photographer, more right? The moment, You're looking for the laughs and like the Oh my gosh, how could you not know this? And like they, they're playful and stuff. So they never pick up on it. Uh, from that standpoint, it, it's more so just if I'm from the moment of like getting out of the car and, you know, meeting them and talking and getting to know each other. If by the end of this two hour, three hour session, one person really doesn't know much about the other, then you're like, okay, that's problematic and it happens quite a bit
3: but that's a good indicator that this is probably the case though
2: oh yeah by by the end of the shoot like if we if we've gone two three hours and there's markers all over Mm -hmm. then we have a red flag this is like okay that's that's going to be a problem because one person is so wrapped up in their own world that they're not seeing what the other person is doing and again this affects their ability it affects the regard that they have for each other. It affects their ability to relate to one another. It affects reciprocation between the two. I mean, every every point across desire is going to be affected by this one thing.
3: No, that's a really good point. I mean, when um, my wedding, because the person was getting to know me, the photographer, so she was, she. Would, I'm kind of self-deprecating. So she was like, oh, your smile is off. So she was like, use your big head to block the sun for your wife. And then I started laughing. So it became more natural after that because. I
2: huh? I'm going to say that. Use
3: your big head. Thanks, um, Matt. You do have kind of a big head. I do head. have a very big head, I admit it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's a big head, man.
2: So it made you laugh?
3: It made me laugh, and then it was more natural
2: after that. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. But anyway. Um, number 10, their ability their ability to easily praise the other person. Oh, yeah.
2: So one of the other games that I play is, it's it'll be funny if I actually have clients that listen to this that come and shoot with me and they're like I practiced everything that you said <laughs> I'm like this isn't a test man <laughs> but um yeah so one of the games would be to ask uh you know like to put them into a close and intimate pose and then I would say something like whisper something sweet into her ear or tell her your favorite thing about her or um for her you know tell tell her your favorite thing about this or whisper your favorite body part it could be anything like again you, you you kind of tailor it to the comfort level that you have between your clients right so if it's uh, fun and intimate and playful i'll say stuff like that but if not i'll keep it light but a lot of people really struggle to say something nice or sweet to their partner wow and that's unusual
3: huh so what do you, okay so like what's an example of that
2: well see i don't usually what I'll joke around with afterwards is like I'll say now say what he or she said out loud right and and I and I quickly say like don't worry don't say it out loud i'm just i'm just teasing <laughs> it's one additional thing that i'll say to get them to kind of react and like oh my gosh i'm not going to tell you that because it was intimate or personal right but a lot of times i'll say that and um he or she might just say they were just whispering cat noises into my ear or They were just saying poop over and over. And again, in and of itself, maybe they're just having fun and being playful in and of itself, not a big deal. But when you line that up with like taking an interest in their lives and all these other pieces, then you're like, "Ooh, I don't know if they actually see the value in the other person beyond simply being a couple.
3: Yeah, because it seems like in that moment you're trying to capture an intimate moment, right? Yeah. So if they're joking or they're not there, there's an emotional distance in that moment. There's, it's a show of that. There's some intimacy issues taking place.
2: Yeah. It's a marker. Yeah. And I I would have, you know, I would have uh, entire shoots where each time I would give a cue like this, maybe three or four times during a two or three hour period, the person, you know, would struggle to say anything and, and both people would struggle and they would just lean back on like humor or they would lean back on, you know, just saying weird stuff he's still saying weird stuff to me. I don't know why. <laughs> and and that in and of itself is still kind of funny and it becomes humorous. But in the context of like, okay, this is a marker. And he also couldn't really explain to me what you do for work. And he also doesn't really know the things that you enjoy. And you also shared a story with me that he once bought you a gift that was nothing what you wanted. Then you start going. Now we have a red flag. There's a there's a pattern that shows that he's not engaged. You know, he's not interested in that's your life.
3: A, that's what I'm saying. Like once you see all these markers, and you keep saying like, you know, it doesn't feel awkward for you, but I, I would sense at some point like it's like, man, this is I don't know. But this is where professionalism comes into play, and saying okay, like I'm just gonna have the boundaries. I just want to catch the moment, so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, I, I think part of the comfort too, though, that you might not be experienced with is the camera itself. You know, the, the camera is as much of a, I often say like, if if you, I am, you put me at a party and you ask me to mingle, that is quite possibly the definition of a nightmare for me. I, I hate small talk. I hate mingling. I hate, I'll do it. I'll pretend to be outgoing and, and I'll do it, but it's incredibly draining but you put a camera in my hand and something else happens. Now the camera is kind of this sort of shield where I can walk up to someone and be like, Hey, let me get a picture. And then I can say, Hey, my name is Pi. Nice to meet you. It's this sort of barrier, almost like a mask that, that I get to walk around with. Right? So when you say that it's awkward, the, the camera is that barrier for me where it's like at any moment, if I feel like the, the relationship has awkwardness or tension, I kind of just pull back to planning my next shot. I pull back to the photography aspect of what I'm doing. So that's the sort of barrier that I keep to not make it weird.
3: Do you ever feel like like the camera, because the, the, the whole point of like taking photos is to catch like genuine moments, but do you ever feel like the the picture itself could be disingenuous? Oh, yes. How so?
2: I mean, in in many cases, I gave an example in the last episode of the you know from time to time I'll photograph a couple who is a disaster it's a it's a complete train wreck but the photographs I create they look beautiful they're instagram worthy you know uh-huh. for whatever that means but underneath it you know you know the truth uh-huh. of of what that is so yes there's there's definitely an element to that but I have to like again separate the i'm I'm hired to create beautiful images of authentic moments it's a weird one because it's like some of those moments are beautiful. I don't know that they're authentic. It's not really my job though, to make them authentic or to, to make the relationship underneath it. That was their job. And so I, I sort of disconnect my responsibility at point of capture.
3: No, I totally get it. Cause it's just interesting. Like it'd be one thing if that was primarily what you do, but you, you set up frameworks and then you set up, you know, you wrote your book. So I'm just, it, to me, it's just interesting how you conceptualize, like, I, you know, knowing you, like how you would conceptualize all of those things when dynamics are taking place. I just find that fascinating.
2: Yeah, it's it's a trippy place. I remember five years ago when the framework was getting fleshed out and it was starting to come together, I would go out on shoots and I would know in moments if this was going to be a healthy relationship or not. And there was a discomfort at the beginning of like, how do I keep doing my job when I know this isn't healthy? And within a few, you know, months of doing that, I was like, okay, I need to disconnect mm-hmm. from my job, from any, any feelings behind what I might have. Yeah. No,
3: that totally makes sense. Uh, number 11, how do they treat the
2: vendors, service providers around them? Oh yeah. This one's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of, okay, first I have a hack. I think I talked about this in the last episode. I said you have to—you had to get to the end of part two. Oh yeah, that's, right. We're, that's yeah, right. we're here. That's uh, right. We're here. If you want to know if someone's genuinely a nice person, I, I should say genuinely kind, right? Take them to a restaurant and have them interact with a waiter or waitress that they don't know. Very interesting things happen, like when. I would pay attention to couples, their family members and their friends, and I would watch it, how these people would interact with the people that were essentially being paid to be there, right? The vendors, the support staff, all the, all the crew. And it was, there were like, it's a major marker. And I would say an instant red flag. If, if let's say she goes up to one of the vendors and is very kind and like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for. I mean, they're being paid to be there, but still, thank you so much for being here and for doing what you do. I really appreciate it. And then he goes to a vendor and goes, I just really need you to do your effing job, man. That is a fundamental difference in how they perceive people. That's true. And so when you saw that, when when I would see that disconnect and how they would engage with other people, um, and, and it was more so with people they didn't know, because it's easy to be nice or to kind to people that you know people that you've pulled into your life because they offer you some value in a way right that's just being nice but kindness is when you choose to be nice regardless of whether you have something to gain or not
3: Oh, that that's a that's an excellent point because vendors they're here to serve you right they're providing a service Mm -hmm. but if you're still choosing to be nice to them anyway and be respecting what they're doing it shows who you are as a person versus
2: like you're here for me you better do what i say that shows that you're probably
3: not a very nice person.
2: Yeah. I had one couple where this was incredibly noticeable where I could see that. And what's funny is that usually, usually they're, they're going to be kind to people that they perceive as creatives or artists. Right. So to me, they're, they're always going to be nice because they perceive me as like, I don't know, like a, like an artist. This is my, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But then when it comes to like just waitstaff, when it comes to someone you know uh, that's cleaning their room, that's what you want to pay attention to. And this woman was incredibly rude to everybody, hmm. and the man that she was marrying was very kind to everybody. He was just as grateful that his friends were there and as as the vendors and support staff that were there. And uh, I remember thinking, if this one works, then my framework is broken, <laughs> like because they broke this whole framework across the board. Uh, and it wasn't, I think it was within three or four months that they were separated. And within six months, it was divorce. And it's because they each had fundamental differences in the way that they looked at the world, You know, the way that they perceived others. No, so that, was, that was a big one.
3: No, it totally makes sense. And then the vendor analogy, even with work, right? Like when you do a job interview, how they treat the secretary staff and the support staff behind the scenes that will dictate what kind of worker they are or if they're a good person or they're conscientious and they care yeah so it's the same analogy
2: so if you're a kind person and you want to know if someone else is actually kind invite them to a situation where they have to interact with people that you know from their standpoint have no value to gain from essentially like it could be a restaurant where it's like the wait staff the person that sees the world this way goes to a restaurant and goes, the only thing you have to gain from me is my money and I have nothing to gain from you. Hmm. So put them in a scenario where they perceive they have nothing to gain from another person and then see how they interact with those people.
3: And that'll tell everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Simple. I agree. It's a, right. That's such an awesome... Your, your work and then that environment, it's so telling. It's, it's the ultimate truth environment
2: yeah and the the beautiful thing is that once here's the thing that i don't i love i feel like um so much of my approach to this was inspired by the Gottman institute um john and julie Gottman. they had some they've done incredible work in the space of studying and actually putting science to like studying relationships and that that is incredible uh, but there's one piece that I still felt like was missing from this, the academic view of relationships. And that's how do people behave when they're not being studied? Because it doesn't matter whether you know, you're invited to participate in a study or whether you're sitting in a counselor's room or whether you're meeting with a psychotherapist or a life coach in every one of those situations when a person is aware, they're, they're going to tailor what they show. And that makes the data kind of limited. You, you have to really carry these studies on for a long period of time to get good valuable data. and the comments did this and they have good valuable data. But what I loved about you know the camera was that I could I could watch and engage and I still get to to, to observe and to have data points that there's nothing personal about the information or the data that I'm pulling it's just observe, observing without any, known you know that they don't know that you're observing it's just watching in a natural habitat almost like the difference of being you know watching an animal in a zoo I'm not saying humans are you know well, we are animals but don't be offended by these analogies please I'm not it's kind of like how does an animal behave when they're caged in a zoo versus when they're out in the wild and where when they're completely unaware that you're even paying attention
3: no it totally makes sense and then what you've taken And what we've created in this 12 week relationship program, it's the laboratory of truth. Yeah. And that's basically the bottom line. So we've taken that and then within these coaching sessions and frameworks and all the things that we're creating, we're creating a laboratory of truth for you.
2: Well, that was the coolest part to me was when I came to you and I said, Okay, this is a a book and a framework for how a healthy relationship should function. Like these are all the components. And and then I was like, but it's not a therapy format it's not it's not anything it's just knowledge of this is what it should look like this is the pattern this is the framework but then you took that and you applied 20 years of your experience and your understanding of psychology and your experience as a clinical psychologist and a a doctor of psychology and a professor and you applied all the academics to it that then turned it into a actual real world therapy model and that was really cool
3: no just watching this whole thing come together is amazing and even like when you tell this story kind of gives me chills because when I'm doing the sessions right now, it's like, yeah, I feel like we're shooting, like I'm getting pictures of their real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a camera. Well, Zoom is, I guess it's kind of a camera, right? <laughs> but it's just catch capturing these real moments instead of the traditional model of just like, okay, come back next week. Cool. And I'm just getting small glimpses. Yeah. This is actually forcing real moments. Yeah. Just like you were looking for and you were capturing, you know, while working in that field, right? So it's just, it's just a translation. Like it gives me chills because this is what we're doing.
2: Yeah. It's almost, you know, the, the traditional model, there is value in terms of um, the traditional model is a painkiller. You go and you look at the symptoms of the relationship and you go to therapy and traditional therapy basically allows you to vent and to, you know, discuss those things that are going wrong. And, and therapizing basically focuses on those symptomatic Issues like the, what is visible? Where's the conflict? How are you fighting? How are you communicating the patterns, that kind of stuff? And there's value in that. That is the painkiller aspect of, you know, like, let's say modern medicine. There's value in a painkiller. Sometimes the pain is so much that you need a painkiller. But then let's say we actually have muscle damage or we need surgery or we need repair. Mm-hmm. Beyond the painkiller, you actually have to go and do the physical therapy or go and get the knee reconstructed and then do physical therapy. You have to go to the problem and then resolve it. And then you utilize the painkiller again to kind of treat the the parts that make it unmanageable, right? And so what we've done in this process is said, okay, traditional therapy is that painkiller and it's valuable. And we need to keep pieces of that. When a couple comes in or when an individual comes in, we look at the immediate pain that they have and we treat it. We we allow them to to go through the process of of working through this surface level you know stuff that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. We give them the painkiller so that we can then focus in and go straight to the core of the problem. And then that's what this process does. Core value focused therapy then goes to the core values, the center of the problem. We work to resolve that, and then we start working our way outward back to and and in the meantime, like sometimes. Pains bubble up, you know, and, and we have to, again, go back to therapizing and back to like, okay, let's manage, you know, pain and response and all that kind of stuff. But you have to have the, the, the actual fix in addition to the symptom level responses.
3: No, I agree with you. I I love the analogy. I mean, if you hurt your leg, we'll tell you why you hurt your leg Mm -hmm. and what you need to do so you won't hurt your leg anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. But then also what you need to do to maintain and make sure your leg is healthy.
2: Yeah. You yeah. you need a painkiller. Yeah. To yeah. to stop the immediate pain. Yes. You need to know why it happened. Sure. We need to fix the problem internally. Yes. And then you probably need to keep taking the painkillers while you're rebuilding, you know, the leg until the problem is actually solved.
3: Yeah, and what you need to do to maintain? Yeah. That's, that's the huge distinction.
2: But people get stuck in subscription to therapy. I mean, the average person goes for, the average people seeking therapy, we've we mentioned this statistic many times, they go for five years, spend over $50,000 in the process, and they have less than a 20%. We were being nice when we said 20 to 25% percent. chance of improvement. That, that's being nice. And we're talking long-term improvement, not the short-term
3: reduction symptoms, because then it can go a little higher. Yeah. We're talking long-term results
2: and therapy is becoming that subscription format because it's the painkiller if you never actually heal the leg then you're forced to keep taking painkillers over and over and over
3: well the other thing too is even though you keep getting the painkillers if you never address why you're hurting your leg you
2: You just just keep keep doing doing the same thing over
3: and over you just keep going back
2: for sure my
3: leg hurts it's it's better now (laughs) my leg hurts again it's better now my leg hurts again yeah at a certain point we gotta we gotta go go deep
2: yeah yeah so All right, my friend, we could talk about this for days on end, but you guys probably don't want to listen to that. (laughs) So we will end here. We hope you both are, we hope you both, we hope you all only have two listeners, right? Yeah, we only have two. (laughs) Uh, We hope you all have enjoyed the last two episodes. That's what I was looking to say, is both episode one, uh, well, the part one, as well as this part two, the follow up to kind of, you know, viewing body language and communication cues from the standpoint of a wedding photographer. If y'all enjoyed the episode, you can help us out by jumping onto iTunes. If you guys like the podcast, leave us a review at 12 week relationships on iTunes, actually write something in description. Glenn and I love reading them. them. Yes. And if it's a negative review, Don't leave it there. Just send it to us on Instagram. You guys can send us questions, comments, feedback, critique, anything on 12 Week Relationships on Instagram as well as TikTok. And that's also where you're going to find our shorts. So little short pieces of bite-sized information that are nice and easy to share with others. If you guys are interested in one-on-one coaching with Dr. Glenn, you can go to 12weekrelationships.com and sign up for the wait list. If we don't reach out, it's likely because you're probably international and we're waiting for our online coaching programs to be available. We're working on developing those and we want to make sure that they're awesome and refined. But we do plan to launch them this year. And uh, that's where we feel like our you know international audience is going to be best served. So, Yeah. That's and it the for news- us, though,
3: and the newsletter, right?
2: Oh yeah, and the newsletter on publicrelations.com. I'm working on handwriting a series of newsletters that are just going to be valuable insights fed to your inbox each week. No spam, no sharing your info, no nothing like that. Just, just really good, valuable pieces of knowledge and and insights from our own research, from our case studies, uh, client experience, everything. That's awesome. it. Awesome, thank you. All right, guys, see you next time.